0: Hi, Paul. Good to have you on the show. Hardy, Great to be with you. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Uh, Sure. So I run a company called The Better Meat Co. We're an early stage startup that makes plant-based proteins that taste like meat. And we're a B2B ingredients company. So we sell to other food companies for them to use our products as ingredients in theirs. Uh, I also wrote a book called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. You can read more about that book and get it at cleanmeatbook.com. There is a German version as well. There's lots of different uh, language editions, but for your German listeners out there, you can read it uh, in Germany in German, or you can get an English version if you prefer. Uh, And before that, I worked at the Humane Society of the United States for a 13 years uh, trying to pass laws to help protect farm animals from abuse as well.
0: Got it. So uh, could you please share with our listeners the story, like how we got into all this food sustainability and your current projects and so on and so forth. So yeah, share, share the story, please, with us.
1: Yeah, sure. So I started out my life as an animal lover. I think I uh, probably either genetically or environmentally inherited that from my mother, but I always loved animals and I hated seeing them harmed in any way. And that led me to go into a career at first in animal welfare, where I was working to try to give animals a voice, trying to improve their lot in life. Because too often we treat animals just as if they were mere commodities who had no interest that mattered. Um, You know, we viewed them really as existing on the planet merely to serve us. And uh, I didn't think of them that way. I thought of them as uh, when I was a child, I thought of them more like my brothers and sisters. Um, in fact, I probably loved them more than my, some of my, of my biological family at that point. <laughs> but um, as, I, uh, as I started learning more as a teenager, I came to realize that it, it's not so much the biggest problem for animals is individuals who want to harm them. Rather, it is institutions that don't necessarily want to harm them, but as a matter of the course of their business, conduct really enormous harms to them. And so that really transformed me when I learned about, for example, how animals are treated in the poor. When kind of did
0: stuff. you learn about all this? Like, could, uh-huh. can you still recall the moment when you? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I, well, it was a gradual thing, but I do remember the precise moment when I saw a video. I was at 13 years old, and I saw a video about what happened to animals, for example, in factory farms and in slaughter plants and so on. And I was really moved by it. And I thought, mm. you know, why are we doing this to them? And, and, you know, people will come up with all different types of rationalizations, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you know, we're smart and, you know, we have anything to try to make ourselves exalted, right, to make ourselves feel like we're superior to them. Mm -hmm. And I just thought we were bullying them. I thought that we were essentially Uh, Only doing this to them, not for any rational reason, other than that, that we were stronger than them and that they can't defend themselves against us and that we were a stronger group. And so we took advantage of a weaker group. And so as a result, I um, decided to really devote my life to trying to give animals a voice. And I, I started when I was in high school, a club. That was called Compassion Over Killing, which uh, ended up uh, becoming a national organization. And after college, I I continued running that uh, for a number of years. And what
0: what, what what were you doing with the organization, like, uh, and what which kind of projects were you involved in? Uh,
1: so I ran the organization from 1995 through 2005, and essentially what we did was things like conduct. Undercover exposés at slaughterhouses or at factory farms. And we tried to shine a light on what happens to animals. You know, most mm. people are never going to visit a uh, slaughter plant, they're never going to visit a, a place where animals are raised for food. Um, and we wanted people to see what happens to them. And to try to shine a light in the hopes that that type of exposure would lead to some change for these animals. You know, most people don't eat meat because of how animals are treated. They eat meat really rather in spite of how animals are treated. Mm. And we wanted to make sure that if these animals were were going to be suffering, that they weren't suffering in in silence, that they weren't going to be uh, ignored. And so I ran that organization for um, about 10 years, after which I uh, left to join the Humane Society of the United States, uh, the largest animal protection group in the world, where I worked for 13 years uh, to pass laws to help protect animals. And then I started coming to the realization that I thought that actually uh, technology may do more for animals than a humane sentiment. It's not that humane sentiment is bad or wrong. Of course, we need it. But it is to say that from an efficiency standpoint, it may be the case that you could have faster gains for animals and for the environment and for public health through technological innovation. So let me give you an example, Hardy. If you go back to the mid-19th century, the animal welfare movement was really founded in the late 1860s and the 1870s. And the uh, the primary reason for the American animal movement's founding was the treatment of horses. People were really concerned about the way that horses were being abused in the streets. And they waged all types of campaigns to help them. They wanted to get Sabbath resting days so the horses could have one day off in the week. They wanted to have uh, mandatory resting hours so they could only work a certain number of hours a day. They wanted to get watering stations so the horses wouldn't have to be uh, deprived of water during the day. Um, And then Henry Ford comes along and renders the use of horses totally obsolete and makes it so that, you know, you don't need horses to do our labor anymore. And so Henry Ford accomplished more for horses than the animal advocates of that time ever even aspired to do. And that's not a a unique case. If you look, for example, at the whaling industry uh, in America, we had a massive whaling industry for for really for centuries. It was a huge driver of the economy and people were really concerned about the extinction of whales if you look at 19th century letters to the editor and newspapers they were talking about the extinction of whales and what ended up freeing whales was not sustainability concerns it was the invention of kerosene and now you know we have electricity of course but back then it's hard to it's hard to overestimate just how potent of a force kerosene was in freeing whales. And it's not like uh, Abraham Gesner, the the Canadian geologist who patented kerosene at first, it's not like he cared about whales. He wasn't trying to help whales. This guy was just trying to come up with a new type of energy that would make him money. And he came up with a a, uh, better, cheaper source of energy that would burn cleaner in our homes than whale oil did. Uh, And, you know, the list goes on and on, Hardy. So if you think about, you know, carrier pigeons, we don't exploit carrier pigeons anymore because we found better ways to transmit information, not because we cared about the pigeons. And Mm. so you look at this whole category of ways that we used to exploit animals that we really don't do anymore. Many of the times it's because there's a new technology that rendered that exploitation totally obsolete. And so now today... The problem is not that we have too few whales. It's not that we have horses in the street. The problem is we have too many chickens, pigs, and cows. These animals are major contributors to climate change, uh, not only because of uh, the way that they're raised, but also because of all the uh, deforestation that occurs to grow the feed, to provide for them, or to put them out on pasture. Um, and they're major drivers of climate. Uh, animal agriculture is a major driver of climate change. It's a major driver of animal welfare concerns. Uh, excessive meat consumption is a major driver of public health costs like obesity and so many other uh, problems that we face. And the question is, how can we actually get this under control? People want to eat meat. Mm. You know, People want meat. Um, As soon as uh, poorer countries start becoming wealthier countries, they start eating a lot more meat. Uh, Places like China, India, Brazil, Mexico, places that have really expanding that are expanding their middle classes. It's great that people are escaping poverty. But one of the side effects is they're going to eat a lot more meat and have a much more resource intensive diet. And so if we're going to get control of this issue either the, um, the developing world increasing their meat consumption or the astronomically high rates of meat consumption in the already developed world, like in Western Europe and the United States, then we're going to have to figure out new ways to produce meat that can give us the taste and the sensation that we want without causing so much damage. And that is why I'm so excited about technologies that can produce meat without having to raise and slaughter animals by the billions.
0: Hmm. So could you please share with our listeners, like, how is this possible? So, for instance, I have no clue either. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you got it. So uh, there's lots of different ways to do it. Uh, One that is the topic of my book, Clean Meat, is to just grow animal cells rather than slaughtering animals. Mm. So right now, uh, scientists can take a tiny little biopsy, uh, like a sesame seed-sized biopsy from an animal's muscle, and then they can grow from that little tiny biopsy. You have millions of cells inside of there. You can put them in a cultivator so that those cells are in the same environment, essentially, that they're in when they're in the body, and they do exactly what they would do if they were in the body, they grow into more muscle. So think about it, Hardy. Um, you know, Imagine that you go to the gym, you work out, you have muscle growth that occurs. That's because inside of your muscles, you have these myosatellite cells. And their only job, their only career in their entire life inside of your body is to repair damaged muscle and to grow new muscle tissue for you. Well, you're not unique in that. Uh, animals have the same type of muscle cells in them. And when you take them out of the body, you put them in a cultivator, put them in similar conditions to what they'd be in in the body they're going to do exactly what they would do and they're going to build more muscle and, and that's uh, what meat is it's muscle and so that in effect is one way of producing actual meat without having to raise whole animals you can just grow it from hmm. the cells themselves now that is not science fiction it is science fact there's over two dozen companies <laughs> on the planet and that are doing this right now. Over two dozen companies, many of them have raised tens of millions of dollars from company from you know major names like Bill Gates, Richard Branson, big names in agribusiness like Cargo and Tyson are investing in this because many of them see this as the future of meat. Many of these companies see themselves not necessarily as animal slaughterers, but rather as protein providers. And if you can divorce meat from the need to raise and slaughter whole animals, you can produce the meat much more efficiently with a minuscule fraction of the land and water and greenhouse gas emissions that are Hmm. needed to produce meat today. So that's option one, what we call clean meat, or sometimes it's called- Clean meat. Yep, clean meat, sometimes it's called cultivated meat, but that's option one. Option two, uh, which is already much bigger in the marketplace, is plant-based meat, where you take plants and basically make them taste and look like meat. That's the popularity of companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. And what they're doing in the case of Beyond Meat, they're taking peas or in the case of Impossible Foods, which is taking soybeans and transforming them so that they look and taste like meat. And many people simply cannot tell the difference. In fact, uh, last night, my wife and I were at a gas station in California. And, you know, these gas pumps, they have like a little TV on them and they show you like a commercial while you're getting your gas. Well, this one showed us is unbelievable. It was a Burger King ad for their Impossible Whopper at the gas pump. And the whole ad was about how all these guys would go into Burger King and tried the Impossible Whopper, and they couldn't tell that it didn't have any meat from cows. They just thought it was Brain. a rich burger. They couldn't tell. And so, you know, you, you then have this uh, replication of the experience of eating meat without having to go through the process of raising and slaughtering animals, which is a much better for the planet because you're using, again, a fraction of the resources that is needed to produce animal meat today. A third option, and this is the option that my company, The Better Meat Co., engages in for the most part, is to make products that you can blend into meat. So, for example, we make plant-based protein formulas that look and taste like meat and that you can blend them into meat so that you can use a lot less meat. So, for example... Uh, Purdue Farms, which is one of the largest poultry producers in America, purchases our ingredients to blend into a line of products they offer, which is called Chicken Plus. Their products are 50% chicken, 50% plant-based. So rather than a conventional nugget, which is 100% chicken, they have 50% of it being Um, Mm. plant-based. And essentially, that means that if you want to still eat meat from animals, but you want it to be better for you, meaning less saturated fat, fewer calories, less cholesterol that are tasting, this is a product that uh, people can go out and get so that they can essentially have their meat and eat it too. So those are a few of the options. There are others. uh, People are experimenting with making meat not out of plants or not out of animal cells, but making them out of microbes, whether they be uh, like, for example, fungi and other types of interesting ideas that may end up uh, coming to fruition. But we need to get much more sustainable and much more efficient about how we produce protein that humans want. And I believe that raising and slaughtering animals by the billions for food will at some point in the future be viewed uh, really almost like like print photography, where we have digital, we have something that's way better, way more efficient. Virtually everyone uses it. And yeah, you may have some people who have like a romanticized vision of the past and they still want that experience. Uh, You know, we still have people who take horse-drawn carriage rides around, for example, today. Um, But I don't think that-
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably going
1: to be the predominant method of meat production in the future.
0: Got it. So, um, I always like to give my listeners like both sides of the coin. Like, what are the upsides and and what are the downsides of this those mm-hmm. methods? Like, um, yeah, could you please speak about the potential downsides of those things that you've mentioned?
1: Yeah, I think Hardy, the the big downside of it could be you know, major disruption in the economy. You know, when you had Netflix and streaming video, it is great for those of us who like watching video on demand, but it's really bad if you're in the blockbuster business, right? If you owned a video store, you are not pleased by streaming video because now we don't really have video stores for the most part anymore. Um, The public health campaigns against tobacco are very good for people because they help people stop smoking, but tobacco growing was a huge part of of the economy in America, at least, and it made, uh, put a lot of, Uh, we don't have that many one-hour photo stores anymore, right? Uh, because people now don't get, don't want to wait an hour to get their photo. They don't want to wait a minute to get their photo. They want their photo, they want their photo instantaneously. Mm. Uh, I and mean, just imagine if your friend took you a minute to give you a photo. I mean, you'd be outraged, right? Yeah, um, and I mean, I remember 20 years ago when one-hour photo came out, we were so psyched. I couldn't believe it. It was like, oh my god, we're gonna get our photos in one hour. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but you know now that's obviously laughable. But, uh, and so this could though have a, a big disruption in the economy because it's so much more efficient. It's so hmm. much more efficient. Hmm. You just need far fewer resources, and that means that you know there are people who have jobs in the economy right now that are based on the raising and slaughtering of animals who will have to be retrained to do something else. So uh, of course, there's, there's positive there's and negatives here. You're gonna do great things for, the, for public health, great things for climate change, to help mitigate climate change that is, great things for animal welfare, but we can't ignore that there is a disruption in the economy associated with this. And we have to be attentive to the plight of those who uh, will go through this type of a transformation and help ensure that they aren't left behind. Hmm.
0: So I'm obviously no experts on all those different things, and I haven't looked deeply into those issues. But um, I saw a couple of people having concerns about the long-term health effects of clean meat, for, for, for instance. Yeah. So um, w- what does the data say? And um, yeah, could you please share with us uh, your opinion on that?
1: Yes, I can. So first of all, it is meat. Um, hmm. it, it's so it, this isn't like they're creating something entirely novel. They're creating meat from the same cells that are created inside of a cow's body, for example. So I'll say a couple of things on this. One, there isn't any long-term data because these companies have only existed for a few years. So there isn't any long-term data on this. What there is long-term data on, though, is actual meat consumption, and we know that the rates of meat that people are eating today are highly associated with heart disease, various cancers, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and more. And so these are plagues in our society right now that are really damaging people's health, uh, both uh, physical health and economic health. And we know that we should not be eating so much meat, and yet people continue doing it. So I would focus on the health of the, uh, you know, relating to the products that we are currently gorging ourselves on. And worry less about these uh, similar products that could really do enormous amounts to help save our civilization and our planet and uh, thousands or maybe even millions of other species on the planet. So uh, I do think that it's possible to make clean meat that's actually healthier than conventional meat. So, for example, um, when you have cellular control over the meat, uh, you know, you could, for example, make a burger that rather than having... Um, so much saturated fat you could make a burger that has uh, omega-3 fatty acids in it so that rather Mm. than the rather than having a burger that causes heart attacks you could have a burger that prevents them Um, but that's you know nobody's doing that yet but there's no reason you couldn't do it but if people are concerned about this i would suggest they simply eat less meat uh, because they they will find great health benefits in doing so
0: so, um, Paul, what would you tell to everybody who is listening to this right now and um, who wants to, 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 to help make a change? Like, what would you tell them?
1: Well, I mean, the easiest place to start is with yourself. To think about what you're eating. It doesn't mean everybody needs to become a vegetarian by any means, but it does mean that each of us can help by simply enjoying more plant-based meals. I think it's great to become vegetarian. That's fine, fantastic. Uh, but many people aren't going to do that, and so there is a a lot of ways that you can help. Whether that's by you know switching to blended products or switching to more plant-based products and so on. That's an easy way. Um, But then also, I would suggest that you want to be able to use your voice to help create new types of policies, both corporate and public policies. So if you are uh, working in the food industry... Is your company, how much meat does your company use? Should you have targets to reduce the amount of pounds of meat that you're using? Uh, You know, many companies now have uh, greenhouse gas reduction emission, greenhouse gas uh, reduction targets, or they have recycling targets. There should be meat reduction targets as well. Uh, Are you in the financial industry? What are you doing to help invest in the types of companies that can help solve some of these problems? You know, many of these companies are startups. They're looking for venture capital. They're looking for um, business friendly loans from banks and so on. And so I would think about what you can do to help at the institutional level to help create the conditions that are going to lead us to a more sustainable protein future.
0: Hmm. So. First, people should think about how they can change their dietary habits.
1: I think it's an easy place to start because you're going to eat very soon. Most likely within a few hours, you're going to be eating no matter what time of day. If you're like me, it might even be less than a few hours. Uh, but I, I think you know we can only go so far with individual dietary change. Uh, that's good, but it only goes so far. Um, You know, in the same way that we need climate policies that incentivize clean energy, that disincentivize carbon-based energy, we need policies in our society that incentivize clean protein and that disincentivize the older methods of protein production, which are extremely resource-intensive.
0: Unpack that for us, please. I'm sorry? Unpack that for us, please. So.
1: Sure. So right now, uh, I'll speak to the American experience. We have massive study, or subsidies, rather. We have massive subsidies that help to uh, support the animal agriculture industry. Uh, whether it's uh, corn and soy subsidies, because those are the primary feed components of of farm animal production, and the most expensive part of of producing meat is what you're feeding the animals. Uh, mm-hmm. So you've got uh, massive subsidies there. You have buyback programs. I mean, USDA just announced, for example, that the dairy industry has so much surplus milk that they uh, are going to put another 50 million U.S. dollars to make it now in the last few years, like over $200 million of buybacks. Most industries, if they overproduce, they reduce their prices and they they suffer the consequences. The dairy industry, though, doesn't seem to have to comply with the laws of supply and demand in that case because they just have the government step in and buy out all of their unsold milk. of resource-intensive protein production. Newer types of policies, though, that we ought to have are research grants to clean meat companies, would be uh, subsidizing the type of research either at the academic level or, or at the corporate level that is needed to scale up and bring the costs down of sustainable protein production. Right now, similar to to look at the vehicle market, you know, right now electric vehicles are still less than one percent of all vehicle sales in the United States. Uh, of, of fluid milk sales is plant based. But you know, problem is you know you still have in the meat space less than one percent. So what can the uh, government do to try to help this? The first is to take the pedal off the accelerator of subsidies for uh, animal agriculture systems. But then also to think about what can it do to give a boost to these sustainable protein systems because you know our planet is not getting any bigger. You know humanity's footprint on the planet is getting bigger. But the, the pace of negative uh, climate events is accelerating very quickly. And no, animal agriculture is not the only cause, but it is a leading driver of greenhouse gas emissions and of uh, of carbon and methane in the atmosphere. And we need to take it seriously. And we're not taking it seriously enough. Our lawmakers and public policymakers are, are not taking it seriously enough right
0: now. So um, obviously, we need to change things on a macro level. So I think... Um, experts uh, in, in all those different topics are disagreeing with a lot of different things for instance i I, ha- I have talked to a couple of guys um that were speaking about climate change and i've heard like so so many different opinions on that so um what are the things that a lot of experts are disagreeing with you on yeah
1: Well, I think that right now there are some folks who are trying to argue that these alternative meats are not necessarily better than the conventional. I don't buy this argument. They are clearly better for the planet, um, and I think that they're obviously better for animals, too. But some people are making the claim, well, you know, this is still a processed food, and so it's not like a veggie burger of old, which is like a bunch of vegetables mashed up into a patty shape. Well, Mm -hmm. it's true that these are processed foods, but, you know, lots of foods are processed. Uh, You know, cheese is not a natural food. No human had ever eaten cheese or even thought about cheese uh, until, evolutionarily speaking, the very recent past. It's a very processed food. Uh, And the same is so with much of what we eat. Most of what we eat is processed in some way. And so... I don't really think that there's a, a lot of meat to this argument, pun intended, uh, about this. And I would say that, you know, at a minimum, these products, like the plant based meats, they don't have any cholesterol at all. Many of them are lower in saturated fat than their counterparts. And um, they often have fewer calories as well. Not always, but often. And so, yes, these are clearly better for animals, definitely better for the planet and for climate change. And I think, on average, they tend to be better for public health, too.
0: Hmm. So what would you tell to everybody who is listening to this who doesn't believe in clean meat? What would you tell them?
1: Uh, that's fine. You don't have to go out and, <laughs> uh, and, and wait for clean meat to hit the market. You know, these the people who are culturing animal cells, <laughs> They're not even on the market yet, but plant-based meat is on the market. Try it out. Yeah. See what you think. See if you like the taste of it. Uh, if you like the taste of meat, I have a feeling you're going to like the taste of plant-based meat because they've gotten so good that it's pretty hard to tell the difference. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, think about eating some fruits and vegetables too. You know, it's a, I know it may seem radical, a radical <laughs> idea to eat fruits and vegetables, um, but they should form the basis of our diets. Uh, most people are dramatically deficient in fiber, which they are very rich in, so try that out too. But the key is that we have to reduce our reliance on raising and slaughtering billions of animals for food because it is it's
0: really fueling so many of the problems that we as a species and as a civilization face right now. Hmm. And I think um, there are also like quite a few mainstream uh, documentaries available on all those different things. For instance, on Netflix, I think there are a couple of very big shows um, that are highlighting those issues. And I think more and more people um, seem to be aware of those things. So,
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, Game Changers just came out, and yeah. um, uh, a, a nod to your uh, German heritage, Hardy. That uh, one of the people who stars in it is a German strongman who is a uh, who's a vegan. Yeah, a, I know this guy. Yeah. Like very big, right? <laughs> very, very big guy. So apparently, he's like the strongest guy in the world, I guess. Um, but. Anyway, uh, so that's a good one, Um, and uh, there are plenty of others too, and there's really great resources out there too. Uh, In fact, I'll give a plug shamelessly for my wife, who her name is uh, Tony Okamoto, and she runs a brand called Plant-Based on a Budget, and so you can go and check out Plant-Based on a Budget and get lots of free resources for how you can eat plant-based and save a lot of money. So you'll be uh, saving yourself, saving the planet, saving animals, and saving yourself a lot of money.
0: So, uh, Paul, what are a few things um, that you you are thinking about a lot uh, recently that we haven't talked about today?
1: Uh, One of the things that keeps me up at night, Hardy, is just whether we can achieve this type of a transition fast enough. I'm very concerned that while there's a lot of really promising innovation and technology out there that promises to solve many of the problems that we're facing, Uh, Whether it's uh, animal agriculture or the plastics problem or um, fossil fuel usage and so on, uh, the problems that we're facing are getting so much worse so quickly, I'm worried that we may not do this fast enough, that we may hit like a point of no return, essentially. And um, so I'm working every day to do what I can. Like, like to- on,
0: on what kind of things are we hitting a point of no return?
1: Well, I don't think we're there yet. But look at species extinction, uh, yeah. where we, we are threatening uh, thousands, or hundreds of thousands of species with extinction right now. We are just one species on the planet. And yet we've basically transformed the planet to serve us and at, at the expense of nearly every other species on the planet. And when you start pulling threads from the web of life you never know which one is going to cause a collapse and Mm. so there's lots of because it's
0: a complex system right
1: exactly and you we just don't know i mean our ignorance is vast and so we just don't know what it is what what is the breaking point at which there's some downward spile from which we cannot recover. And there's lots of doomsday scenarios on this. Hopefully they never come to fruition. Um, but, you know, imagine if...
0: Yeah, you, yeah, you, now you have to share a couple of, of those with us. So
1: <laughs> Okay, so um, think about, uh, for example, if uh, there were some runaway greenhouse gas effect that the planet just kept getting warmer and warmer and warmer to the point where our, our, our crops start failing. And you know we have right now seven and a half billion of us and let's say we had major crop failures. The, the impact societally of that would be truly massive. Yeah, we have surplus food for a little while, but if we had crop failures for a couple of years, uh, you know the, just think about the societal discord that would occur. And the warfare and the the marauding that would ensue. I hope this never comes to pass. But that's one type of an example. Or uh, you know, there are certain um, uh, microorganisms in the ocean that produce a huge amount of the oxygen that we have on the planet. If they failed, uh, you know, you, you could see a mass suffocation event. Um, so there's uh, globally speaking. So, you know, there's lots of different concerns that you could have with this and we just don't know when that will happen or if it will happen. Um, and I'm not, you know, sitting around thinking like, um, I'm you know, going to be some prepper who's got like guns and stored, you know, stored ammunition <laughs> and food in, in, uh, in some bunker behind my house or something. But, um, but you know, I do worry that we might that the, the problems that we face environmentally may be so severe that we may not pull this off fast enough.
0: Hmm. So, um, Paul, could you please share with our listeners um, uh, the the story behind your podcast and how you started your podcast and the reasons behind it?
1: Yeah, sure, Hardy. That's very nice of you. So, uh, I host a podcast called Business for Good and i feature companies on there that i think are doing really cool things for the world a lot of the times people when they think about business they think about profit making and that's the sole purpose the primary purpose of a business is to make a profit well that may be for some people but for the companies that i feature on the business for good podcast they're doing these companies sure i'm sure they hope to make money but that's really a byproduct of what they're doing their primary purpose is to help solve some type of a social problem so for example uh, I featured uh, Lindsay Howie Handler on there, who is the CEO of Phoenix International. And her company uh, essentially saw that in rural Africa, that many people have access to no electricity. They just don't. They're not close to a grid. And so uh, as a result, they don't have uh, a way to have lights on at night. Or if they're cooking, they're using firewoods, they're deforesting the environment or they're using kerosene, which is both dirty and dangerous as well. And so they invented a way to create really cheap solar panels and mobile methods of payment. And they now have their uh, inexpensive solar panels on 300,000 rural African uh, roofs. Uh, so that people can have light at night. And this is transformative for folks. It helps kids study more uh, at night. It helps people have uh, not have their house burned down. Uh, it even advances gender equality because now they can power TVs and see other parts of the world where women are treated uh, in a much more equal manner. Um, it's even helping to reduce birth rates for a, a number of reasons that she talked about on the podcast, um, which is very important for families to escape poverty, to have lower birth rates. And so that's just one example of a company that is really making a huge impact in the lives of others and is making money doing so. Uh, Another company, a company called Coral Vita, is, uh, you know, they're very concerned about the collapse of coral reefs, which, you know, host a huge amount of the biodiversity in the ocean. And they have pioneered a method of of farming coral and getting corals to grow 50 times faster than they would in nature. And then they can transplant those corals onto actual coral reefs and help rehabilit- rehabilitate them. How long
0: is they making this happen?
1: Uh, they basically have a method of taking coral and cutting it into little pieces. And when coral is cut up, it enables it to grow much faster. And since they're farming them, they can subject the coral to different types of stressors to essentially inoculate the coral against, for example, more acidic water and hotter water because the ocean chemistry is changing because of us. We're causing the oceans to heat up and to be far more acidic than they ever were, and that prevents corals uh, from growing their skeletons. Uh, when mm-hmm. when you have more acid in the water, and so they are hoping to uh, uh, basically revive coral reefs by. Pr- Uh, Transplanting farmed coral. And that sounds like a cool project, but it's not a charity. They're being paid by resorts that want coral reefs because they like to have snorkelers come and who want to go see that. Nobody Mm. comes to snorkel on a dead coral reef. Uh, Resorts, also, you know, beaches are going to have much less erosion when there are living coral reefs near them because they break much of the waves that come in. And so that's another example of how a company can make a lot of money. By solving a really serious problem. So the whole purpose of the business for good podcast is essentially to shine a light on companies that are making money while making the world a better place. And, uh, so that could be anything from solving environmental problems to, um, human health problems and so on.
0: Hmm. So, um, through your work in this field for so 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 many years what have been the most devastating and sad stories you've heard or experienced um on all those different issues that we've talked about today on for for animals the planets the environment and what have been the best stories and the best moments so far that you yeah. can recall
1: well, I'll start with the worst, so we can end on a higher note on this particular point. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, I would say that um, the rollback of numerous environmental and animal welfare uh, federal policies by the Trump administration has been a, a certainly a, a de- dejecting point. Um, you know, these are not getting the type of coverage that other aspects of the Trump administration get. But uh, there's been a tremendous amount done to roll back important animal welfare protections and environmental protections. Uh, Highlights, though, are several. I mean, one, numerous states and countries are now passing laws to protect farm animals uh, from various types of abuse, which is very important. And then, two, uh, you know, you look at the success of a company like Beyond Meat, which, um, you know, is a plant based meat company. And when they went public they were the first plant-based meat company to ever have an IPO and it was the most successful IPO of the last 20 years of, in any category and Didn't so know
0: that
1: uh, yes yeah, huge I mean they I mean their stock is down a little bit right now but it's still like over triple what it what it went public at so the point is um, that incident of the beyond meat success has led to a lot of interest from investors in pumping money into this space because they see that solving this problem of uh, animal agriculture can actually be profitable, too. And so I think those types of events are among the most promising uh, events that I can think of.
0: So, um, Paul... At the end I always ask every guest of mine five questions but um before I ask those all right yeah. <laughs> before I ask those five questions what would you tell our listeners at this point in our conversations your best advice on all those environmental issues what would you tell them
1: well I don't want to be dark but you're going to die soon and you're gonna die either in you know many decades but certainly uh, unlikely it's gonna you're gonna have centuries right And so I would think, how can you make the biggest impact in the short amount of time that you are going to live? Even with human lifespans expanding, it's still going to be over like that. And so the question is, what legacy can you leave? How can you make the world a better place? Because you had existed? How can you reduce the amount of suffering and increase the amount of happiness in the world because you existed? And too many people think, well, first I'm going to go make money and then I'll do good in the world. Don't think about it that way. Think about what you can do now that will both do good in the world and help you make a reasonable living at the same time. Got it. So
0: uh, could you please tell everybody where can they listen to your podcast, connect with you on the social webs and so on and so forth?
1: Uh, Yes. So you can listen to Business for Good podcast anywhere you get podcasts, whether iTunes or Spotify. Just look up Business for Good podcast. Uh, The website is businessforgoodpodcast.com. I am on Twitter at Paul H. Shapiro. Again, that's Paul H. Shapiro. You can also get in touch with me on my website, which is just paul-shapiro.com. Again, paul-shapiro.com.
0: Got it. So uh, the first out of five question is, Paul, what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life?
1: Wow. um, Okay, uh, there are. I, I'm I'm a very avid reader, so I probably won't pick the three that had the biggest impact, but I'll probably just tell you three that I've been thinking about lately. So one is the Happiness Advantage, and I forget. I think the guy's name is Sean something wrote it. I can't remember his name actually, but the book is called The Happiness Advantage, and it basically makes the argument that many people believe that if only X would happen to them, then they would be happy. Well, hmm. in reality, it's more likely that If you're happy, you're more likely to achieve X. You're more likely to achieve your goals when you're happy. And so the question is, how can you become happy? And happiness is not something that just happens to you. You can cultivate a mentality that helps you choose happiness, even in dark times. Now, it's not easy. I don't do it all the time for sure, but it is something <laughs> that, you can, that you can aspire to and that you can, on average, try to become a happier person even without external circumstances changing. So uh, that's one. Two, I really can't rave enough about the book *Sapiens* by Yuval Noah Harari. It's kind of a—it's um, kind of a cop-out answer because so many people would say this because it's such yeah. a
0: office <laughs> uh, book.
1: But it, it, it's popular for a reason because it is truly that good. It is an amazing account of the history of our species, and what I love about it is that he is so clear about p- painting us in the more humble light. You know, we believe too often that we are, you know, like fallen angels when in fact we're really just risen apes. And we, you know, the thing I love about it is it paints humanity in a far humbler light than we often view ourselves. We love to exalt ourselves. We love to put ourselves at the apex of the, the pinnacle of, all, of everything on life. And yet Harari makes it clear, like, we're just another animal. Like, we were just another African ape walking around. There were lots of others like us. And a whole variety of circumstances that were largely beyond our doing uh, led to us becoming, like, this temporary ruler of the planet. And while, you know, things have gotten better for humanity in recent years, generally it's at the detriment of the rest of the species on the planet. So um i, I love uh, i love harari's book um and his other books are great too i will say he wrote the foreword for my book queen meat so cool uh, so if you if you don't uh, uh, sapiens is quite a tome if you just want to read a few pages of harari you can go get Queen meat from a uh, clean and you can then uh read harari there too um and then you know another um Another book that was very influential on me when I read it, which admittedly was you know probably twenty six or so years ago, uh, was Peter Singer's work, Animal Liberation. He wrote this mm. book. In, he wrote this book in nineteen seventy five, um, and it's there's been new, many updated uh, editions of it since. In fact, he he told me once that while he's written about 40 books that that book has sold more copies than the other 39 combined (laughs) um so yeah it's funny how, how things work out like that but it's basically a treatise on um on viewing animals in a very different way and treating them with the respect and the compassion that they deserve and he makes the argument that essentially we have a bias against animals not for any rational reason but simply Uh, because uh, you know they're weaker than we are and so we try to come up with all types of justifications for why we say oh we have, you know, we can speak or we have this or we have that. And he goes through and, and looks at the reasons um, why those are not, um, not as uh, important as we might otherwise think. And there's a, a great book on this topic also, that a, a name called uh, Created from Animals by James Rachels. Mm-hmm. Rachels is sadly no longer living, but Created from Animals is a Darwinian view of the moral implications of our treatment of animals. And it's a great short book. Uh, essentially arguing that the other animals on this planet are not here for us, but rather are here with us. And hmm. the way that I see it is it's kind of like, you know, in the same way that Copernicus and Galileo helped us to understand that we are not the center of the physical universe, people like um, like James Rachels and Peter Singer, they have helped us to see that maybe we are not the center of the moral universe either, Mm. that maybe these other animals are here for reasons that don't just involve serving us, that maybe they have their own uh, purposes uh, for existing independent of what value they may provide to us. So I've been moved by those types of works for sure and uh, would recommend them to other people too.
0: The second question (laughs) is. What are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most?
1: Oh, man, there's so many. Well, uh, I think like uh, uh, my three top movies of all time, and it's hard for me to put them in in an order. So this is a random order. One, uh, the movie Glory. Glory Mm -hmm. came out in the late 80s. It's the story of the first black regiment in the Civil War mostly comprised of former slaves who were now uh, going to war still being abused by the union army and treated unfairly but still went to war to try to destroy slavery in the united states and it is a poignant poignant story that i can't recommend highly enough two i love the movie contact it's the it's based on the carl sagan novel and mm. Essentially, um, it's a you know, there's many stories that we see about alien contacts with humans. Normally, they are completely unrealistic, like a big, big spaceship of marauding aliens who come to try to extract our resources. Uh, it seems very unlikely that that's going to occur. Uh, if there were some type of contact, Carl Sagan's fascination here might actually be more realistic. And the basic premise is that we essentially intercept a message that they have uh, sent out from where we don't know. It's like a radio signal that we get. And in that radio signal, it turns out there's actually a blueprint for creating a machine that allows us to uh, essentially utilize a wormhole to go learn new things and explore the universe. Uh, So I love that story. It's a beautiful, beautiful story uh, with Jodie Foster, and uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. And then um, third, and certainly not last or least, is uh, Life is Beautiful. Life is beautiful. um, It's by the uh, Italian guy uh, Roberto Benigni, and it won so many awards when it came out back in the late '90s. It was like, you know, probably I don't remember. It's like best picture, best foreign film, and like everything. It like swept the whole thing, and with good reason. With good reason, because Life is Beautiful is a comedy about the Holocaust, and that sounds outrageous, right? Like, how could there be a comedy about the Holocaust? Let alone the one that's like massively popular. And indeed. It is a fantastically beautiful, poignant movie, and the premise is that a father and son are interned in a concentration camp, and the father doesn't want the son to really understand what's happening. He's a little kid, and so he invents this story about how this is all a game and how he has to abide by certain rules to get points in the game, and he basically goes through the Holocaust while— shielding his son from the horrors that were occurring, from really realizing the magnitude of the horrors that were occurring. And it was a beautiful story about a father's love of his son and what he was willing to do to protect and shield his son uh, during a a horrific
0: experience. The third question is, um, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory?
1: Well, um, I'm averse to consumerism in a lot of ways, so I don't buy that much, or at least I try not to. Uh, however, I will say that uh, my wife and I got an inversion table. It's like one of these tables where you lay on it and it like puts you backwards, you know? So you're like hanging upside mm. down, essentially. You don't have to hang all the way upside down, but you can kind of hang like that, maybe. And um, it's really good for your back. And it's I think it was like 150 dollars. And what's uh, the brand
0: put- or oh, well, how's it called?
1: I'll have to email. It's, in, it's called an inversion table, but the, there's numerous brands of them. The one that I got, um, I can, if you want to include it in the show notes already, I can send you the link to the one that I got. But I, I really like it. You only do it for a minute or so a day and it, it kind of elongates your spine. So um, it just it feels good and it makes your back feel better.
0: Got it. So um, the fourth question is, uh, what are the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And some guests shared something deeply personal about their career, relationships, travel, time. Um, Speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us today.
1: Sure. Well, uh, you know, I think there's a, a number of them. One is that I think that I've realized like You need to always be trying to do better. You need to always get better. You know, none of us are perfect. All of us are making mistakes. We're going to always be continuing to get better. And so um, in that vein, you know, I look at my own life and I have... Gone from in in recent years from thinking that working in the nonprofit sector was the best way to help fight climate change and help uh, help animals and so on. And now I believe that the more efficient way is probably going to be through uh, businesses that can help solve these problems. That's not to say that the nonprofits aren't doing good work and can't do good mm-hmm. work. By, by far from it, not the case at all. But it's just a matter of efficiency. That I think we can do even more in this way. So that's one. And a second realization is that. You know, as you get older, you come to worry a little bit less about um, maybe what other people think about you and less about reputation. You realize there's a difference between reputation and character. And reputation is what other people think of you, and character is how you actually are. And learning the difference between those, I think, is important. And um, for me, I would say there's an evolutionary reason why people care so much about reputation, because when you live in a tiny little uh, tribe, if you know, people kick you out of that tribe, you die, right? That's the end of your life. So you, you think of it as something really important. You get This is why people get very anxious, have a lot of anxiety over what other people think about them. Uh, and there's a real evolutionary basis for it. But when you live in a society as big as ours, that's not really true. And I'm grateful to my own group of family and friends on whom I can rely for support and for friendship and for advice and for counsel, both in, in my best days and in my worst days, and so I don't take that for granted. I don't take it lightly at all. Um, I'm grateful that it's a large group of people, and I am very very cognizant of that distinction between reputation and character, and hopefully they both line up, Uh, but even if they don't, it's more important to focus on the character.
0: The last question for the day is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self?
1: Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, I I used to play a lot of football and it led to some pretty serious injuries for me. So I probably would have said, don't play football. (laughs) Uh, That would be one. Um, But after the physical safety, I would have told my 20 year old self to think more about what actually is going to solve the problems of the world and less about what others think of you. This is really going back to what I was just talking about, but many people do what they do. They're seeking to enhance their status, to get people in their own social group to to offer them some type of affirmation. Um, And I believe that what I'm doing now uh, through the Better Meat Co. and trying to advance this uh, issue of uh, meat reduction through this particular method I don't know how my 20-year-old self would have thought about it, um, but I do believe it's more effective, Um, but I would have suggested to my 20-year-old self to focus strictly on what is actually effective, not just what you think other people will like.
0: Paul? Paul? Thank you so much um, for for being on the show today and um, sharing your advice on those important issues. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: It's my honor, Hardy. Thanks so
0: much. I appreciate being on with you. Talk soon. Bye bye. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out.